from Battlefield Studio Alpha, welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast, where we explore what spiritual resiliency looks like from different perspectives. We often focus on the physical, emotional, and social areas of resiliency, but too often we neglect the spiritual pillar. Now, this looks different for everyone. We will be exploring what spiritual resiliency looks like in the lives of our guests, who are people from all different walks of life. I'm your host, Nathan Coy, and today we move into chapter two of our podcast journey, which means that this is episode 51. And today we had to start it off right. We had to start it with a bang. We had to pick it up with the mustache. Let me tell you guys, you're going to love the artwork for this one because the mustache is absolutely amazing. Jason Skizik, how you doing, sir? Nathan, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. And it's it's already been a, a pleasure talking to you. So I'm looking forward to this. You know, the conversation beforehand was absolutely amazing. And I was like, you know, I should probably be recording this. Yeah, yeah. It was just too good. And that mustache, seriously, man, your wife is absolutely amazing. That's And to fill that in, that's what I tell people. When they, when they admire the mustache, I always say, all it says is that I have a fantastic wife, wife that she lets me have this ridiculous face walking around town. See, but absolutely amazing. You live, you live in, the, in the country now, right? Well, I live in a beach community in Indiana, which is insane. I live in the Indiana Dunes National Park. Um, I grew up outside of Chicago, and I've, I've started my professional career after the Army uh, in Chicago. Uh, and during COVID, we just decided to, to move the Indiana Dunes National Park um, and it's, it's been wonderful. I'm about 200 yards off of the, the beach at Lake Michigan and I nestled up here in a dune. It's, it's pretty sweet. Uh, you got your little bungalow going. Is it getting cold now for you though? Yeah, we definitely get cold, but fortunately for me, I don't have to go anywhere very often other than to jujitsu and kickboxing. So I get to just chill in the snow globe when it gets too ugly out. Yeah, see, I'm 25 minutes from the beach here in South Carolina, so at least we get a little bit of that warmth. We get winter for about two and a half hours. Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere around there, so it's good stuff. Hey, before we get going too much into this, I want to start off with just some easy questions, some softball ones, just to kind of warm us up, get us going, even though we've already had amazing conversation. Uh, What is one thing that you find repulsive? One thing that I find repulsive, let's see. I mean, oh, I'll give you one that's just not like poop. Uh, I think that I'm I'm repulsed by people that are fake. I can tell within three sentences if somebody's full of shit. Uh, and if they are, it really bothers me. And I, I, I just have gotten to a place where I politely and, and candidly will just excuse myself or if I'm forced, we'll tell them. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't put up with it anymore. Like, have you ever had anybody like actually ask you for feedback and you're like, well, you know, uh, well, no, I mean, listen, it's not something that I can help somebody with unless they want to be helped for it. And and frankly, like also what I will say too is, um, you know, if you want to succeed in a different way than I have chosen to live my life, sometimes there's a, it's a different language that you speak. And so when I say full of shit, I don't mean necessarily quote unquote full of shit, uh, but I do struggle with like corporate speak and like, you know, buzzwords. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're just like living on LinkedIn, usually there's some incongruency in our personalities. Um, the thing that attracts me to, uh, to this art form, to podcasting is what I call capital T truth. Um, so whether you talk about jujitsu or CrossFit or, uh, podcasting, 
there's this theme in my life that I'm drawn to, and that thing is truth. It's like, this is just a conversation. Uh, Jiu-jitsu is, did it work? Did you tap? Okay, great, it works. And did it not work? You didn't tap? Okay, great, that didn't work. And so the same thing. So when somebody, you know, clearly isn't being authentic, you know, for me, it's just such a good reminder that, you know, I could do an impression of somebody who's famous or successful, but it's going to be far worse than them, whereas nobody else can can be me. And so the more authentic that I can be, um, you know, the better that I'm going to do as myself. And see the absolute truth and actually understand. I've tried to have this conversation with people. I'm like, just just tell me honestly. Yeah. I just need you to be honest. That's it. Care enough about me to be honest. Yes, I agree. All right. Hey, so I'm giving you two tickets. One is to somewhere that you've already been, and one is to somewhere that you have never been. Where are these two tickets to? Barcelona and Japan or Italy. My wife would say Italy. I feel like Japan, though. That's another planet, isn't it? I'd love to go to Japan. Absolutely. Yeah. I was in. I was actually stationed in Guam and was able to fly within four hours of Japan. Oh, absolutely amazing. I was in basic training with a guy from Guam. And he would sing to us in basic training because we didn't have any radio or, or anything like that. And so I, I always have a sweet spot in my heart for, for Guam. So did you keep up with him after? No, we didn't even go to the same EO, uh, into the same MOS or any of that stuff. And so AIT was what I was thinking of. Um, and uh, yeah, so no, I, I, I literally don't even recall his name. We just called him Guam. And so like, uh, I apologize <laughs> if this ever gets heard by him because he was a really nice guy. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, because if you ever have the food, you will never leave that island ever. The only reason I left was because I got a work. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Oh, best barbecue ever. Wow. And now you said, you said Japan, Italy, and then somewhere that you've already been, Barcelona. Barcelona is the best place I've ever been. Uh, I love Barcelona. Uh, I lived in Germany. We were, I was stationed out of Germany when I was in the army and we would travel pretty much any weekend where we possibly could scrape together the money and, and get away. And, uh, the place we went to. We did a 30-day tour of, of Western Europe when we got back from Iraq one time. And, um, yeah, we were supposed to stay in Barcelona for three days, and I think we stayed for 11. We, like, ruined the rest of our trip because we were having so much fun in Barcelona. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. You know, that happened a lot in the Air Force as well. People's planes would mysteriously break <laughs> in Hawaii. Yeah. Hey, I know we're supposed to bring you, but uh, we broke. Yeah, yeah. Quote, unquote, air quote. All right. Hey, if you could leave your job that you're currently doing and do absolutely anything else, what would it be? Which I know is a hard question for somebody like you because you, you're doing what you Yeah, like. that's a terrific question. So I'll just kind of define that a little bit. Um, I work with entrepreneurs and I help them to make a bigger impact on the world. I help them see their vision. And so if I were to stop doing that and I couldn't do it, um, the thing that would interest me is to probably get into a product business of some sort. Uh, I've spent my career in service businesses, which I'm good at and I enjoy. Um, but if I was going to try to simplify things, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably get into a product business of some sort or just fucking retire. Sorry, I don't, am I allowed to curse? <laughs> eh, we'll, we'll allow it. We'll, we'll Only it if it's yeah, important. It's, I, it's I your story. Yeah. It's, it's not mine. It's your story. Yeah. You do what you do. Okay. You be you, boo. Thank you, sir. Hey, hey uh, one final question. If you could invite five people dead or alive dead or alive to a dinner party who would you invite and why oh that's a good question dead or alive um joe rogan 
Jocko Willink, um, John Donaher, uh, Ayn Rand, uh, and um, who wrote 1984? Come on. Or- Orson Welles. No, Orwell. Uh, George Orwell. Orson Welles wrote Orwell. The Time Machine. Uh, yeah, those five. Wow. I mean, that's like a that's like an all-star who's who. It's a uh, modern and you know it's funny because a couple of those people I don't think would be that fun to talk to. Uh, I don't think Ayn Rand was a lot of fun, uh, so I'm, I'm curious what that would be like. So I, I may think about that later and, and have second thoughts. But yeah, that's my guess. I'll stop my head. <laughs> yeah, we're not changing it though. Oh, just so you know. no, it's on record. No, yeah. it's it's officially there. Like this is going to be published as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> hey. So again, already a great conversation. I uh, I want to know more about Jason. I want to know where you came from and how you got to what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can start your army before the army, wherever you bring us on this journey. Well, um, I probably shouldn't be here. Uh, so when I was in first grade, <laughs> I promise to be brief. When I was in first grade, I was basically kicked out of school, and my mom, I found out later pulled a ton of strings and went to battle with the public school to get me placed in this behavior disorder school. That was a private school. It was year round and it was about an hour away. Um, and so, uh, I was in a school of 40 kids K through 12. And some of those kids were gangbangers. Some of those kids were suicidal. Some of those kids, I just had really bad ADD or what I call entrepreneur's disease. Um, but I was born with what I call spirit of the puppy, right? So I love very passionate about doing things. I'll spend infinite amounts of time focused on those things that I'm really interested in. Um, but I can't, it's very difficult for me to give any kind of a crap about things that I'm not interested in, um, especially by nature. And so I have this spirit of the puppy. I can read all day if I'm interested in it. I can work all day if I'm interested in it, but it's hard for me to have any discipline. So you can imagine, uh, I worked my way through school. Um, I ended up in regular high school, uh, work my way through school, uh, and I get out and I have all this passion, all this, um, interest, but no discipline. And so guess where I ended up? The United States Army. And so uh, I went into the Army. I did, um, I did okay. Um, I, I, it took me exactly four years to get what I needed out of the military. It didn't take four years in a day, and I don't think I would have been ready uh, you know, three years and, and less than one day of four years. Um, and so um, I got what I was looking for. I found what I call military mindset. That's the second pillar of, of my uh, core values. Um, and I... Uh, I did two things right when I got out of the military. One, I went to uh, university. I went to school for finance um, and got a degree in finance and eventually made my way into commercial banking, which was great. Uh, And two, me and two other veterans started a CrossFit gym on a dusty fourth floor warehouse uh, floor um, that had absolutely no business being open and it was just a hobby. Um, But what I found, Nathan, was I was working on these huge deals, $10 million deals, $50 million deals, big companies that people would know the names of, right? And all I could think about was my little $9,000 a month revenue business. I was modeling it in the expensive computers on the expensive modeling platforms. Um, and I'd be in a room with my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss and an entrepreneur. And the only person I could see the eye to eye with was the entrepreneur. And so, you know, I just, just decided that my attention span was the thing that was pulling me towards that thing that I loved, which at the time was, was fitness and building communities and tribe. Like most people, if, if I, I know most of your audience is either military or was military, you know what I'm talking about where there's this thing you get when you're involved in a tribe 
I think the military is so interesting because you're in a tribe of people you didn't choose to be with doing a job that you may or may not want to do, and you must get it done and you must execute it at a high level. I think that teaches you so much. And so like so many veterans, uh, I've been looking for that feeling ever since. And the place that I've been able to find it and recreate it has been in my own businesses, right? Uh, And so in a circuitous way, I decided to focus 100% of my time and effort into building uh, the CrossFit gym and and making it a capital B business. And as soon as I did that, um, we went from you know, what we were at and we 10 X our, our results within about 18 months. Um, and because of that got a little bit of notoriety within the circles of gym owners, uh, and started to coach other entrepreneurs. Um, and I just fell in love with that. I have never been on a call with an entrepreneur where I got off with less energy than when I got on, it just gives me energy and fuels me. Um, and so I've spent my life uh, I, I sold the gym in 2020 to uh, most of the gym to uh, to my colleague and, and brother from another mother, Andrew Westcott, who's crushing it with them. Uh, we moved from Chicago to the Indiana Dunes over here, um, and I've been uh, coaching entrepreneurs for about four and a half years, um, and, and that's what I do now. And you have absolute passion for what you do. I mean, even before we were talking, and you're, you're getting into it, you could just see... Yeah. The transition when we went from talking about uh, everyday type of stuff to now all of a sudden I'm talking about my business and you could just see that smile grow and that personality grow as soon as you transitioned over to the entrepreneurial side and and I love that about you because you come out of the military it's right you're you're on mission you're you're you're, you're set up with these this skill set that you think doesn't transition very well over into the world well if you create the job if you create what it is that you're meant to do. Now you you grow that tribe around you, and I love how you use this this lingo of tribe and mission, and and uh, and where the military mindset meets the spirit of the puppy. I I the puppy. Come on, we just got a puppy. Oh yeah, what kind? This thing is all over the place. It's a pure pure energy. It's a it's a Morky. Oh cool. A Maltese York yeah. mix. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. She's super excited. So I see that excitement in you as the same as the puppy. So I, I like the lingo that you use in describing that. So how has your leadership adapted as you came out of the military? What did you, what did you pull and bring with you when you started the businesses and, and those other avenues? How has that mind, that leadership minds, mind shift kind of happened? So the most beneficial things that have happened to me have been struggle and failure in my life. Because those are the things that ultimately have carved away the rest of the stone, revealing whatever version of me that I am today on my path to becoming whatever version of me I will ultimately be. Uh, And so what I would tell you is the leadership that I took from the military was terrible because I was exposed to great leaders. But when I was given, I left as an E4, when I was given the opportunity to lead, I'm not proud of the way that I took those control of those things. And so I would tell people what to do and I wouldn't be willing to stand next to them and do it. And by the way, this is only very few minor experiences. I was an E4. I just was never put in a position of leadership. And until the very end of my time in the military, honestly, I wasn't there. And so when I left the military, I had these big goals and I had learned a lot of skills about problem solving and troubleshooting. And we had overcome a great deal and accomplished a great deal as a part of this team. 
And so rather than taking leadership skill from the military, I went into entrepreneurship with the mindset that I have to do it myself. And there's only a few people that I could trust to be able to do what I do. And so I had these two partners and the three of us were like, okay, we've got to like circle up and we're the only ones that can possibly do this. And we were enslaved by our own passion. Our passion became a prison, Nathan, because we didn't understand that we needed to, that there was in fact a way to lead people in such a way that you can accomplish really big, hairy goals uh, without it being somehow diminished or worse. Um, And so it took me years to put my guard down and to take the time to take that magic that was between my ears and scale it out to a team. And, And then now looking back, the exact model for how we do it is the military, right? In the military, you get a let's call it broad spectrum of recruit that comes in and you have to accomplish a precision goal routinely every single time without fail to a standard. And so like when you talk about SOPs, literally the words that we use in business are the words that come from the military for a reason. And it's because we're pushing, if you can think of of an upside down pyramid, we're trying to push the difficulty level of roles in our organization down over time, not up. And so at the top of that pyramid would be like an astronaut. I need you to be like physically, mentally, and educated, like at the very highest level to energize this job. And at the very bottom would be like the guy that does the fries at McDonald's. And it's like most entrepreneurs think that they want to go out and find astronauts. And the reality is if you can take the time to build your systems and your structure and your foundations of your business, you can actually push the requirements down so that a less and less capable person is capable of energizing a better and better result. And that's a direct theft of the United States. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Cause the higher you go in, in, well, in my job, especially I'm over a staff of three instructors that are over a grouping of 10 to 15 people. I'm sitting here going, I've worked myself out of the job and I'm okay with it oh, yeah. because that's the way it's supposed to be. Yes. I'm not supposed to be raising up myself. I'm supposed to be raising up multiples and multiplying myself. It's hard to have that perspective. It's hard to have that perspective when you're the E3 or the E2 or whatever. Like, uh, it, it, I remember that feeling and not understanding it and really like unfairly categorizing what was going on. But now that I look at it with hindsight, I'm like, oh, no, it makes perfect sense. And that's how it has to be. Right. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. But I don't think that we take the time to break that down for the E3, the E2, the E1s. We don't we don't take the time to break it down of the why. This generation is really, really huge on why. When when I was a drill instructor, I used to hate it when they used to say why. Well, only to realize that they're not questioning me. They're, they're wanting to know genuinely the why behind what we're doing. Right. But that there's utility in that too, because to me, not using, not, not encouraging that is actually, it's cutting off at the past, like a host of other hurdles that are going to come down the road. If you have like, if somebody is uneducated and underperforming and you give them like the ability to have autonomy or like question authority, like in hindsight, I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. What you want to do? Just like I don't let my baby decide if she wants to play with a pocket knife versus a doll, right? Like she plays with the doll because that's the thing she's capable of playing with right now. And my job is to get it so that I can take her to the gun range in five years or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, 
and, and so to some extent, I understand the blunt instrument that is like a military training regimen, but I also see it from the other side now, having never been crazy successful in the military. Um, but I see it from the other side now of like, no, like there's levels to this and this is the level that you're at. Let's move you up. Let's go. But let's execute at this level first. Yeah, because if I can't trust you in the small things, there is no way that I'm going to trust you in any other realm of responsibility. Right. And it's ruthlessly effective, as we've proven for hundreds of years at this point. Yeah, but we also get stuck in that mindset, which is why now it's time for me to exit, right? I retire in 18 months and it's it's time because it's gotten to that point where I'm seeing such a drastic change in that mindset. I'm wanting to be there and help them, but I'm also empowering the three the two staffs and the tech sergeant that are below me to kind of bring them up to the level of where i was so i can step away and have a clear path. well and this is a journey man I, I think there's a reason why we put 18 year olds into the military at the level at, and at the tasks that we do and that is not a lifelong unless you're tim kennedy that's like a very rare lifelong mission right i mean um and so just like you should be you know, you're matriculating because of the system, but also because of you, you're, you're on a path of evolution and you're, and I don't know you well, but just a person in this situation, it's like, now it's time to go on to the next thing. Um, and I will tell you, you know, I envy you because when I got out, everybody was in slow motion and I was in fast forward, but I didn't have the experience and the skill set to take advantage of that. And you very well may. So I'd love to follow up with you in, uh, in like 26 months and see how everything's going. Oh, I can't wait. Trust me, I can't wait to have these conversations. I can't wait to come up to the dunes. Oh yeah, we'll rock, baby. Just have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, I mean seriously, because you you just started out with a the personality. You started out with a smile. You were approachable. You're that type of individual that you want to glean off of as much as you possibly can. Just because you're full of energy, you're bringing the energy. You make me have to bring the energy. It's great. Well, I appreciate that compliment. Thank you. Well, it's like they say: as iron sharpens iron. So it, it just continues throughout and throughout. So now what did you do in the military? What, what was your job? What was your MOS in the army? So I started out as a 31 Fox. I think it got moved to 21 Foxtrot, which was a network switching systems engineer. So I was a node center operator. Um, and what that means is they hand you a shovel and you dig holes in the desert and then you pull cable through conduit. Just kidding. I really, that was, I think that was a uh, Lima, right? Like that's a 31 Lima was, but that was the job I did on my second deployment, which is like the bulk of my, uh, in the field work experience. Uh, no, I was a node center operator. So I was a network switching systems engineer. I learned about electrical engineering and telecommunications. Uh, it enabled me to, I, I skip over in the story, but it enabled me to get a great contract job right when I got out, uh, at a large, uh, pharmaceutical company that paid well. Um, and so that was really a really great way to get my feet under me, to be able to have a good apartment in the city and, and a good job. Um, and yeah, just, uh, just a, a good, uh, overall good career. Good. I, it taught me how to troubleshoot, you know, really well. Yeah. And, and in very harsh situations yeah. where you had to troubleshoot very quickly and effectively at the exact same time. So, so one thing that we don't talk about in the military very, very well which I have a lot of listeners that are not military as well. Mm -hmm. And so they've kind of gone on this journey with us of what resiliency looks like for us. 
uh, as individuals, because we in that type of organization are with multiple different religions, with multiple different types of individuals going through stuff. Uh, but those pillars have kind of remained the same for each of them. And one of those is spiritual resilience. So how would you define spiritual resilience? It's a good question because when I hear you talk about it, it sounds like you would define it a little differently than me. And that's fine. Uh, for me, it's probably my willingness to continue working towards a goal. And the longer I'm willing to delay that gratification, the more spiritually resilient that I am. Um, I would also add that spiritual resilience is a practice, not a skill. And so it's not something that I can go get and keep. Just like I told you before we started recording that I don't still own the level of discipline that I had when I was about to leave the military, right? Uh, it's, it's a practice. You must keep it up. I don't roll my socks. I don't hospital corner my beds. Um, but uh, what I do is every single week, I do three sessions of collective elective suffering, which you guys would think of as PT and used to be CrossFit for me. And now it's jujitsu or kickboxing. Um, and what that does is it gets me it, it on my paradigm of good to suckiness. It moves suckiness way over this way. And so like the other things don't seem that bad. That helps in spiritual resilience. Uh, and then number two, I go on a solo mission every single week. I go on a ruck march or I go float in a float tank with my, my, my thoughts. Um, and that is another way that I'm able to think about my place in the universe, think about my goals, think about my relationships and take time away from conversation, away from the TV and away from my phone. Um, and that makes me a much more centered person. And so my spiritual resilience comes from like really, um, from my identity. And I think there's three levels to identity. Let me break there for a second, because uh, I think when you're young, people attribute you your identity. They say, you're strong, you're fast, you're pretty, you're smart, you're handsome, you're short, whatever. Um, if you're lucky, when you get a little bit older, you start to look outward for your identity. You say, I want to be like Jocko. I want to be like this guy. I want to be like her. I don't want to be like that guy. I want to be like him. So you look outward. I feel like the next level from that, and one that I have really started to hit my stride in, is I don't look outside. I start to look internally for my identity. And all of a sudden, it's like infinite and fractal, which means like I'm learning new things about myself all the time. And because of that, my spiritual resilience is enhanced. So as a practice, I make sure I do really, really hard things with really, really close friends often, three times a week or more. Um, that helps me stay in spiritual shape, right? And then separately, I make sure that I go on solo missions where I'm not distracted by tactical day-to-day -day crap. And I think about my place in the universe and how I can make it better for everybody. Now, did a lot of that internal looking, did that come after your daughter was born or was it before your daughter? No, you know, I don't have, um, I had my daughter late, you know, I had my daughter at 39, 38, I guess. Uh, yeah. 38. Um, and so, no, I had already uh, been doing it quite a bit. I'll be honest with you. My, my inter, my introspectiveness has always kind of been there. Um, it came from entrepreneurship first, then it was aided by masterminds and mentorship and sort of learning from others. Um, and then I took into, I got into a practice of things like float tanks and things like, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics, I'll even say, um, things that just things where I could put down my personal opinions and start to see things with fresh eyes. And so that can be for, for anybody listening to this, it can, it can be uh, religion, it can be spirituality, it can be yoga, psychedelics, it can be meditation, uh, it can be any number of different things. But the goal being sort of like, okay, so 
stop thinking from inside of my head and start to think about my place in the universe from point next to myself. And it's, it's that type of, uh, change in perspective that I try to get around myself regularly, but not constantly. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And, and you bring, I mean, it's, it's, so many of those layers, because you were talking about physical activities and even that social type of resilience, all of those are, are inter, interlaced in so many different ways, and they overlap uh, throughout all that we've done. And, and we heard the multiple different ways of how you build spiritual resiliency within yourself. Mm-hmm. But what about spiritual resiliency within your family? Well, I'm very honest. Um in, in anything that I do, uh, now I have, I I'll I'll tell you this, here's a good example, Nathan. When I got out of the military, I had just finished like what I think to be like a really virtuous mission. I had, I had nothing to hide. I hadn't done anybody wrong. I didn't have any, you know, uh, fatherless children running around or anything. Right. And I just remember getting home to Chicago and I remember looking for eye contact. I was seeking out eye contact in humans. And I haven't always had that even since then. I haven't always felt that. Um, and I feel like you can tell how you feel as a person based on your ability and desire to make eye contact with other people. And what I would say is in my house and with my friends, I have no fear of eye contact. And that's because there's no secrets. There's no hidden agendas. I, if me and wife have a problem or if even there's tension, I, and, and it's certainly, I'm the initiator of this. Typically I'm, I'm the communicator of the two, although she's been terrific. Um, shout out to Donna. Um, and so for me, it's, it's honesty and it's being forthright. Um, and it's just, it's just being who I want to, it's being the person that I am and the person that I want to be. Um, and she's very good about being the same. And I'll be honest with you, the, the child, Lucy has been the, the first time in many years for us, we've been together for over seven years. And the first time in many years where there's like this irrational being in the room that can't be reasoned with. Uh, so like, I don't get angry anymore, but I do get frustrated and I get frustrated when there's one of two things. It's either a super compressed timeline on something important, right? Uh, that can frustrate me because I can't fix it. Or it's something irrational and immovable, which is the definition of that is in the other room right now. You know, she's 18 months. That's, that's what oh, it yeah. is. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, so spiritual resiliency in our family is just, there's just no question that we are in the same boat. We are trying to get to the same place and we are both or all three of us soon are rowing as hard as we possibly can to get there. And I try to recreate that same feeling in the businesses that I run. And I try to help other leaders to recreate it in their businesses. See, and that's, that's absolutely amazing. I love the, the idea and, and the concept of the eye and eye contact, because you can tell so much about an individual by having that initial uh, look into the eyes mm-hmm. to see which direction are they going to go. Do they immediately lower their eyes, which tells me, okay, something's up. They're off a little bit. And that's how I, I deal with my airmen all the time. My direct supervisory airmen, I look at them in the eyes and I'm like, just, just look at me in the eyes. And then I, I can kind of tell where they are, if they're having a bad day or if they need something. more. Now this has transitioned over to my son who is 14 years old. Wow. He, he's been with us for three years now. We adopted. Okay. And he would always look away. He he always looks away and he won't ever look me in the eyes when I'm talking to him being very serious. So I, I literally look at me in the eyes. It's, it's the respectful thing to do is to look somebody in the eyes to have that conversation. 
And it's amazing and it's awesome to hear you talk about that same concept when just walking through the streets, wanting to look people in the eyes and, and see what they're made of. Yeah, I agree. And I, I would say I would say too, it gets it's um it's difficult. In, in fitness, we have this concept called core to extremity. And it's, so it's like, if I want to snatch a big weight, I have to have tons of core strength before I can display it at extremity, right? Or if I want to do a bunch of pull-ups or if I want to, it's called core to extremity strength, right? Uh, some folks will hear that and understand it. Most people don't. Um, but in life, I look at it that way. Like if I want to be, the extremity is the looking you in the eyes. The core is why I'm comfortable doing it. And so it would be really difficult for me to be like, hey, look me in the eye. The person might be like, I don't know, man. I don't feel good about myself. And so it's like, how do we set up a world? Or maybe, maybe the last time I looked somebody in the eye, they slapped me, you know? And so it's like, okay, so how do I get to a situation where I feel good enough about myself where I can look you in the eye? And I think that um for me in my journey, especially as a leader, uh, it's been interesting going from thinking I had to do it myself, or really telling somebody exactly what to do, then thinking I had to do it myself, then getting to a place where instead of telling you exactly what to do, I just ask you questions and then you know exactly what to do from that. And I don't think there's the space for that in the military very often, uh, but in the smaller tribal organizations that I enjoy being a part of, um, it's pretty magical. And that's gotta be awesome to be able to watch. Yeah. And again, there you go with the, with the whole deal about the tribal. Being from Oklahoma, understanding the Native American uh, mentality and, and what happens within the culture of individual, you know, that's, that really speaks volumes to me. And before we got started recording, you had started talking a little bit about your core values mm -hmm. and how that, how you kind of came up with your core values. What are they? Yeah. So for starters, um, I, I ask this question to almost every entrepreneur on the very first call when we're just figuring out what they're doing and what their issues are and what they need help with. Um, and I basically will be like, Hey, do you have a mission statement? Do you have core values? And almost every single one, at least the, the ones that are trying, uh, will tell me, yeah, oh yeah, we have, we have core values and mission. Okay, cool. What are they? Oh, I don't know. When we filed our LLC, we, we said we wrote core values on a piece of paper. We shoved them in a desk drawer and I don't think I've seen them since I'd have to ask my assistant. Maybe she knows. It's like, no, dude. Those aren't your core values. Those are like McDonald's's core values, or maybe those are, you know, Intel's core values or Apple's core values. But your core values are the ember that burns inside of you, that makes you who you are, not who you wish you were, not who somebody who you respect is. It's the thing that makes you you, and it's what got you to the dance. Because ultimately, it's what got you to the dance that you need to accentuate to find the most success you possibly can. Um, and so, for me, that starts with, okay, write down a list of words and phrases that describe you as you are. And so for me, like Spirit of the Puppy is the combination of like ADD, loving to meet new people, really excited about new things, willing to play and, you know, and have a good time no matter what the circumstance, right? Like we're in a war zone talking about superheroes and stuff like that, you know, like, um, so, so those types of things come together, and then we ask somebody who knows you really well. There's a, there's this multiple step process that we go through to uncover what your core values are, and, and and actually, it's not just who you are. It's also like how do you work, and how do you communicate without well with others, and what motivates you. There's like dimensions to this, you know, Nathan. And so once we have that, once I actually took the time to understand what my core values were, I had this five sided puzzle piece that I could hold up to the world and prove 
again and again. I'm open to changing them, Nathan, but again and again, I've just proved them right. So in the beginning, it was, okay, let's hold this up to my favorite client. Huh, they're this, they're that, this is how they do it, that's what they like. Cool, let's hold it up to my least favorite client or employee. Oh, yeah, that person's super spirit of the puppy, but they have no military mindset. Or that person's military mindset, but they have no spirit of the puppy, so we never have any fun. And it's like, you see what I mean? And so you start to see, then once you can prove it enough, then you can start to hold it up to the future and say, hey, should we do this? Should Nathan and I hop on a podcast? Yeah, he seems fun. I know he's got military mindset. Seems like he's invested. Let's go, baby. Uh, And so like, it's so easy now for me to know ahead of time with pretty good accuracy um, whether or not I should be working with somebody. And, and that's a big part of what I do, because I will say this, if, if as an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur's coach, um, the number one problem I hear right now is not finding new clients and it's not knowing how to fulfill or being good at what you do. It's how to find a good team and keep them. And, and that's something I've never struggled with because I only work with people who really are bought in on what we're doing. They want to be there. I mean, as a CrossFit gym coach, my average employee over the last 12 years has made like $500 a month. So I'm not even responsible for covering their rent, but they showed up as professionals. They showed up on time because they were super passionate about it and they were core value fits. Wow. Man, you gave me a ton to think about, even in just that small little breakdown. Because with what you do with your with your job is really a lot more of that internal look mm-hmm. on the person and the leader before we start to flip it on the team and look deeper into the team themselves. People want to work for somebody like that, right? Somebody that, that looks on the inside and sees all the flaws with themselves before they find the flaws in the team association. So is that so the company is Spear and Clover? That's correct, yeah. And and just the motto and the methods that you've been going, the military mindset meets the spirit of the puppy, the uh, helping individuals be able to look a little bit deep. What other aspects do you work on with clients that you take on? Yeah, so um, for starters, what I would say is if you if you look at my stuff, and this isn't like to say that it's good. I think it's good. Uh, but if you look at my stuff, you're not going to find it anywhere else. And that's because I didn't start with the assumption that it should be like anyone else's. And so what I started with was uh, when I, first of all, uh, and we'll talk about the story for the Spear and Clover. I think it'll hit, uh, it'll hit a, a chord with your audience because it is uh, interesting. Um, but I, I took a year off of work uh, in the last, up until November um, of this year. And, uh, and when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I didn't think about what could I sell. I didn't think about even what I was good at. What I thought about Nathan was what would I stand on a mountaintop and fight for? What would I freaking beat my chest about? And that thing, those things are things that have totally changed my life and my businesses. So things like having an understanding of a real mission that actually is why I get out of bed and go to work every day. Having core values that I understand that are actually the flame that burns and keeps me moving forward. Having a, a framework to take the magic that's stuck between my ears and scale it out to a team so I can impact the world on a bigger level, things like that. So that's what I help people to do. They go through a course. It's called Dynasty Defined. And the reason we call it Dynasty Defined is because unfortunately, Nathan, I've been a Bears fan for 30 years. uh, And for the last 30 years, we've been one drafted quarterback or one coach or one playbook away from a championship, which is just hogwash. Championships are not about who's playing on the field. They're not about the plays that you call, and they're not about the coach that's at the helm. What they're about is the organization. 
This is why for the last 50 years, there's been two head coaches of the Green Bay Packers. There's been two quarterbacks in the last 20 years. And it seems like no matter who's on the field or what plays are called, they're a contender every single year. And so for me, that's a dynasty organization represents an organization that really understands rock solid foundations about itself and can take people from outside of the organization and turn them using frameworks into productive elements of that organization. So great example would be like Chad Ochocinco or Randy Moss goes to New England and you just never hear about them being a problem again. And it's because they become a part of this greater whole. And so it's not sexy in the business world to talk about core values and mission. It's much more sexy to talk about marketing plays or hiring schemes or how to fulfill or scaling through social media or any of those things. But if the words you're putting on the paper are based on lies or really even just ignorance, then everything you build off of that is just going to be built on sand. And I'm saying that from a house built on top of a dune, but uh, either way. Um, <laughs> I see the irony yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but, e- but either way, and, and so for me, Spear and Clover, this is a personal, you know, this is my, my artist formerly known as symbol, right? Like this is something that I've had for years before I ever decided to make it um, a, uh, a business and it's in a, in a podcast and it'll probably be on my headstone. Um, it's the Spear and Clover. It represents this. Uh, I live in the dunes. As I've mentioned, I have two Australian shepherd dogs and we go on solo missions every single week. So I put on a 40 pound pack. Sometimes I'll carry a 40 pound log. And one day I was doing that and I was doing an 11 mile ruck through the dunes, up the beach and back. Right. Uh, and I'm military mindset, head down, feet moving, sweat pouring off the, the tip of my sunglasses. And I'm laser focused at achieving my goal. The Australian shepherds, if you know, are super fun. They're running out into the woods, rolling around, playing, coming back to check on me. Cause they're good girls. They're running out, checking on me, coming back. And it just occurred to me in that instant that at my best, that's how I go through life. I'm laser focused towards my goals, but I'm still taking time to enjoy life as it's happening, to try new things, to meet new people, to play. All of that stuff is incorporated in what I think of as a successful life. And so I already had the military mindset and spirit of the puppy as core values, but this ethos, this combination of those two things has served as a guiding light for me ever since. And so my podcast and my business and the way I look at the world at its best represents those two ideas well and thinking about it as you talked about that you've got your your dogs your employees your people trained so well that you're allowed to remain focused and going forward while they're going off and doing what they want to do and play and still ending up on the same path you dude Nobody's ever said that, and I've thought of this. And so one day, this is a story I've never told before because I didn't think people would get it, but you just asked me a really insightful question. So one day, I have this throwing, uh, it's like an atlatl. You know what those are, right? Uh, It's like the thing that throws the ball further. And so I throw it out into the woods, right? And so we're up on top of this dune, um, and it's really high up. It was like 80 feet up. And sometimes there's like really sheer cliffs that they can like, and they'll go wherever I throw the ball. The ball represents the mission. And I just, it just, I was sitting there throwing this ball and I was like, if I throw the ball down the hill through the bushes, Pearl, especially who's a farm Aussie, the other one's a Ruby. She's a, like a show Aussie, but Pearl's a farm Aussie. She will go over a cliff before she even thinks about it because I sent her there. And so in my mind, I'm sitting on top of this thing and I'm like, there's this two way, this two way street that we're both on right now. I, and throw the ball into increasingly more perilous places as they 
gain experience and confidence and and da da da. But it's also my responsibility to never throw the ball off of a cliff and ask them to do something that would cause them harm. And so it, I have like a really intimate relationship uh, with my dogs, which please don't isolate that clip and, and spread it around. But uh, <laughs> I have a really intimate relationship with my dogs. And I feel that way about my team because this has happened to me before where I'll be like, hey, go uh, build that website. And it comes back and it's garbage. And it's like, well, of course it is. I threw the ball off a cliff without any preparation, without any uh, marching mm-hmm. orders, without any training, and without giving them the time and care that they needed and deserve. And who better than a drill sergeant to understand like the responsibility of putting people through hell, how much weight is actually on your shoulders for that? Um, and so, yeah, man, that's a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Be- because you have to ask for trust. Well, you, you, have, you have to, to you have to you have way. to feel the responsibility of asking for trust mm-hmm. and holding trust. Yeah. Uh 100 100% then that's that's what I was saying here writing down was just trust. Mm-hmm. Trust. Trust. And if they trust you and you blow it, it's on you. And the thing is is they will trust you. People want to trust you, especially if somebody's, listen, this is the thing I say about entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who, when there's an opportunity to take responsibility, they step forward. And I learned that in the military. I had people, drill sergeants, a couple of them say, anytime there's an opportunity to raise your hand, do it. And so there's some people that raise their hand. There's some people that stay where they're at. And there's some people that step backwards. Ignore the people that step backwards, lead the people that stay where they're at and allow the people that raise their hand to lead. But the problem is if you raise your hand and you're not careful with that responsibility, if you don't take umbrance and, and uh, respect that trust, we're going to trust you. Don't kill us. <laughs> like, don't, don't throw me off a cliff, you know? <laughs> and trust, but verify. Hey, Jason, absolutely amazing conversation. I am, I am so grateful that you took the time to invest into me, into the listeners. Uh, do you have any, and I didn't say this beforehand, do you have any book recommendations? I figured you would. Yeah. Um, my first book recommendation is, uh, an idea. Um, I don't believe that wisdom comes from new knowledge. I think wisdom comes from a deeper understanding and a perspective shift on knowledge you already had. And so I am currently in a season of my life where I reread more books than I read new books. However, the younger you are, the more you should be reading new books. Okay. Um, if for, for, um, you know, I mentioned Ayn Rand, obviously Atlas Shrugged is my favorite book. I don't know if it's my favorite business book. Uh, I love the book Essentialism. Uh, that's for anybody. Um, you don't need to be an entrepreneur. It will totally, totally align your life if you, if you are an entrepreneur, but it's a way of living called Essentialism. It's a fantastic book and it's a fun read. Um, and then same, uh, I would say that uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who was a former FBI uh, hostage negotiator, is a great way if you want to be a salesperson, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be a leader, but also if you want to be good in relationships. It taught me to be a much better listener, a more active listener, um, and really not manipulate people, but really make sure that we kind of align and end up on the same page in these types of whatever confrontations or arguments or conversations. Yeah. Well, hey, again, Jason, thank you so much for investing. Uh, I, I I have written about four pages worth of things, just little short notes wow. for me to go back and, and write down a little bit more about on each of them. And I've actually drawn some pictures, too. I found that I if I take notes and I yeah. just draw pictures really quickly, it, it gets the point across for me. And then I can go back and I'm like, oh, there it is. Awesome. 
Uh, any final words that you have for us? No. Any parting words? I'm honored that you had me on. I'm honored that 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 you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, and I uh, I really appreciate your time as well as the time of your listeners. Um, if you're still listening to this, uh, support Nathan. He's he's pouring his heart and soul into this. He's doing a hell of a job. Um, go to his website. Go to the places where you download your podcast. Like it. Subscribe it. Share it with a friend because this is a really important thing that he's building. And you are able to get it for free and you can help him so much with so little. If you still have time, find me at spearandclover.com. Uh, I'm happy to, to talk to anybody, try and help if I can. Uh, my platform of choice is Instagram. I'm spearandclover on Instagram or Jason Skisick on Instagram. Um, otherwise, just uh, it's been great, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, today's episode is only possible thanks to my friend and producer G. Frazier with 369sounddesign.com. He is truly the VIP of this organization day in and day out, making me sound good each and every episode. We are blessed by the entire team here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast. See you next time. Be blessed.